and welcome to episode 188 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in a activity room. It's a rumpus room. That's a total rumpus room, my friend. You getting rumpusy? In northern Wisconsin, just surrounded by wood paneling. Are those our nation's great lakes on the wall? It is the great Michigan lake. Any, any other lakes? Isn't Superior in Wisconsin? Huron? No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it's it's, it's uh, a map of like all the shipping routes of Lake Michigan. Shane, you made so many friends in Wisconsin the last episode, and now you got their lakes wrong. You're, you're done. Is there one of those evergreen shipping containers blocking up one of the, the famous ports of Wisconsin? You know what else this, this is a map of? Direct quote, soundings and feet and fathoms. Yeah. That's a that's a really good first album name. It's my favorite. <laughs> that is a good, yeah, Jim O'Rourke. I was gonna say that's when we when we finally get to work with Brian Eno. That'll be the name of the record. Yeah, the soundings of feats and fathoms. All right, I got Shane in Denver, Colorado. I got Dave in Chicago. We hear y'all. Where are we? Get, we you know what? Somehow an episode materialized out of thin air. I was like, well, maybe we'll get some spoilers, and we kind of did. We were, oh my, we got so many spoilers. Uh, we'll see how many of them are good or interesting. But uh, after this week, we are so fortunate. For- I am so fortunate that uh, we got spoilers because I would not have been able to do anything else. I uh, Is- since since I talked to you guys, I had to clean out my whole basement myself. <laughs> Uh, with a couple of, with a friend helped, but uh, yeah, clean up yeah. the whole basement. Got a puppy. Like I said last week, the puppy keeps me up all the time. Barely lets Sounds me work. Great. Bites me all the time. And uh, my wife broke her ankle. And so I'm caring uh. for her. I'm doing all of this on my, on my lonesome. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. <laughs> and you'll get through this. The kids are so helpful now, I'm sure, oh, at this point. Hopefully they're very helpful. <laughs> they're not helpful. And I, I think to make matters worse, Dave, you've been relegated to a closet. I am in a closet right now. You can see most of my wives, my my wife's, <laughs> not wives, <laughs> uh, jewelry and shoes behind me right now. Uh, but you know what? I think the sound quality is better. Tell me what you think. It sounds good to me. Yeah, I like it. So as Dave hinted on this week's show, we are doing some Dominaria spoilers. But first, I have yet another tournament report from a modern RCQ I got to play up in Green Bay, Wisconsin this, this past weekend. This better involve rhinos. Oh, the horn dogs are clomping. I'll tell you that much. We also have another Frank Karsten modern meta article. I guess this is his first modern meta article, but it's another metagame review from our favorite magic mathematician. And we're going to waterfall that into a bit of a Nerd Rage Gaming preview of the St. Louis Team Trios Tournament. Give you an update on where Modern's at for the folks in the Modern seat. You can probably use all of our Pioneer discussions from last week to start to understand what the Pioneer seat might look like. And I Green. think you listen to Dominaria's judgment to know about the Legacy seat. Oh yeah, they had a good they Is had a good it? sort of Team Trios uh, episode, right? They covered all, all the formats, they, all three. They did, they did. But first, let's housekeep. Shout out to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation. It's Ben O, who I got to meet in Green Bay. A fan, oh, awesome. fan of the show, introduced himself after... Some proselytizing. Yeah, he saw me win, and then he said hello. I'm sure that was calculated. We got to chatting. <laughs> nice dude. He, he's, I guess he's recruiting people for a barbershop quartet. So if you're in the northern Wisconsin area and you want to sing some quartet tunes... 
Find Ben in our Discord. Valentine. Stan, how do you sing? Are you like are you like a tenor? Are you a bass? I I can hit many octaves. Oh man, regular like uh, Mariah Carey in here. Do re mi fa sol la ti da. All day, every day. What's that last note? Have da, you... Did he say da? Yeah. Isn't Is... that? Uh, yeah, they're both do. That's just yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I used to have a barbershop quartet. It was just Metallica songs. And we would sing <laughs> tunes like, Master of Puppets pulling my strings. <laughs> you guys went to some of those shows, right? At the Mutiny? Actually, I, I saw. Have you guys ever heard of Metallica? Did you ever Definitely. listen to Metallica? I've heard of them. Ooh, no. I, I saw them live one time. I mean, it's it's sort of like a barbershop quartet. If that barbershop quartet was people playing Metallica songs in the style of the Beatles. And oh. uh, and it was or kind of like Beatles songs in the style of Metallica. It was a weird like early 2000s mashup, but they were incredible and worth watching on YouTube. If you want to hear something like Got to Get You Trapped Under Ice, that was a good, oh, that was yeah. a good song that they had. Oh yeah, wasn't Everybody, that like a Jay Z album too? Like yeah. the Gray album? Wasn't that a Beatles mashup? Yeah, everybody's got a ticket to ride except for me and my Lightning. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> I want to put this on right now. I'm not listening to you guys anymore. I'm listening to Metallica. Hey, dude, was one of their songs, of course. Metallica, get at us. Sponsor our podcast from Wisconsin. Of course, there's not a lot to do here except drink wine coolers on the side of the road and start mashup tribute bands. Yeah, we also got a new review. From JC Yo Boy, who Given name who acknowledged us as the number one horn dogs and the Love best it. MTG podcast, true on both accounts, of course. I'll take it. This horn dog thing is really kind of like gaining momentum, and I have mixed feelings about it. I'm not yeah, gonna well, lie. Same. I mean, I mean, just gotta gotta lean in, I guess, a little bit. I guess we've recontextualized, and that's okay. You know, and yep. we're kind of claiming language that was kind of cringy and making it, I don't know, more cringy, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's like it's like LOL. We're like, you know, LOL was was lame. And then you just kind of like recaptured it. And now you just say LOL, even though, you know, you, you appreciate the fact that it's kind of ironically funny. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, we're also brought to you by com, the best place to rent Magic the Gathering cards online. I had uh, maybe 1,200 tickets of cards out for probably like a week, and they didn't say anything to me because, uh, I mean, apparently I get VIP treatment. That's not true. I've had Rhinos rented for four weeks now. (laughs) I've had it since we did our Rhinos dive episode. I still have Rhinos rented, I believe. Uh, Oh, my gosh. They, They haven't come for your kneecaps? No, they haven't come for me. They've come for mine. I, too, have basically had rhinos definitely rented for, like, the last two months. <laughs> and they were finally saying, don't forget the fair usage policy. Please return your cards. This is not a warning. Just a reminder. You're like, this is very fair. I have all the cards. Yeah. So I went ahead and returned the cards and then just re-rented the deck with the new sideboard. <laughs> but, yeah, Manitraise is awesome. Um, don't abuse their fair uses policy. Give your cards back when you're done using them, and you can get 10% off your first two months of this amazing service by using code the dive down 15 uh, We get a little bit of a kickback from that, and you get to save some cash, so we totally appreciate all y'all out there that have been using the dive down 15 to sign up to Mana Traders. Also, NRG, you can get some paper cards from our friends over at Nerd Rage Gaming. Uh, use code DIVE8. Gets you 8% off your order, and as always, we remind you, we just do this because we like you. And we like NRG. They just give you 8% off because we're partners with them. Uh, we'll be covering, of course, the Team Trios event uh, when we can. 
Yeah, reminder, we are going to be covering the Team Trios event uh, from the NRG, the NRG series. That'll be an awesome one. We get a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We don't know anything about Legacy, so be prepared for some amazing coverage. But use code DIVE8 for 8% off your paper cards from Nerd Rage Gaming. So, y'all, you want to start? Stan, we have you for a potentially limited time. That's true. And I want to hear some Rhino experiences, some Rhino experience, Rhinoceroses. That's right. All right. Here's here's the headline, y'all. I made top eight. Yeah. Well, but first Finally. you gotta tell me how, how many players. How many players we got, Stan? Seven, oh, 17. 17 players. No, you're kidding me. I'm serious. Oh my god, that's so man. That was the tournament to win, my friend. Dude, I I know, and I knew that going into it. I knew it as soon as I found this tournament on the tournament calendar. I was like, I'm gonna do three big er events in the Chicago area. Practice, 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 and then. Going to show up in Green Bay, spike an unknown shop where no one hopefully knows me. <laughs> and Except, again, this is, a, this is a, well, go ahead. Dave. Except people knew you and they were pretty good players <laughs> as a part of Frost Giant Games. Am I right? They have their oh, own jerseys oh, yeah. and stuff. I've seen them at events. I don't know if they were Frost Giant jerseys. I think it's folks from another store who have ah, jerseys. That, oh, no. That, they came to spike the Frost Giant events. Yeah. people People had the same idea that I did. But yeah, of course, this is this is no slouch on smaller stores because there's great players all over, all over the place. But you just have better odds when there's fewer players. That's just flat out math. That that's the math, yeah. And I will even add, it was a lovely store, a huge space. They had like the main shop that you walk into, and then they had, I think, three separate play spaces. So in one separate room, they were doing commander games. The modern RCQ was in a whole other room that had its own exit to the parking lot. So I was able to go and sit in my air conditioned car between rounds and eat cliff bars. Really, really cool shop. Great crowd. I had a great time and um, I finished in fourth. That, that That's what it is. I, uh, I made yeah. top eight. I got to the semifinals on camera. They streamed that event. It looked great. Yes. And um, I went four, one in the Swiss. I lost to the same person in the Swiss that I lost in the top eight, losing to blue, white, Urza eight cast. Well, I don't think I took a game in either of those matches. Like I definitely didn't take a game in the top eight match. And I don't think I did in the Swiss either. Just got my butt handed to me. I, I constructs get big, huh? Constructs get big. They can cast a fairy. They can cast metallic rebuke. rebuke. Yeah. They've got chalice post board. Esper Sentinel is kind of scary sometimes. Maybe it shouldn't be. I think that's one of the lessons I learned is, Maybe live in less fear of Esper Sentinel. That was, I think, my big... Shane, you saw my match, I think. Like, I don't know if you'd call it a misplay, but maybe just, like, the wrong decision I made in game two of the semis was I killed an Esper Sentinel, and then I couldn't mystical dispute a Lavinia. And that Lavinia mm. just set me back, like, four turns. And by the time I answered the Lavinia, that had to Farron Chalice down, and I was just playing real, real sloppy. I got two GRVs in that match. My only GRVs of the Whoa. day. Whoa. Just, just, Whoops. I was just not in my element that time. You got you got tilted. A little bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't... Okay, so I had you streaming on my phone. I was visiting a friend uh, in glorious Nederland, Colorado, and so I was trying not to pay attention too much to it, I gotta say. That's okay. I snuck into the bathroom and watched a little bit. I'll tell you that. That's an honest truth. Um, <laughs> just standing there with my phone in my hand. I was at dinner, a birth, a 40th birthday dinner, 
and I had it on the table and I was trying to watch it with one eye and someone next to me was like, um, what are you doing? And I was like, that's, that's my friend. That's my, that's my friend. On the he's internet. On, he's on TV, the little TV. He's on my podcast. And then I had to talk about podcasts again. No, but I mean, I do think, so let's talk about Esper Sentinel since that's the topic at hand, right? So Esper Sentinel is definitely one of those cards that I think it can sort of be like a Renin 6 type thing. Just any kind of small card where you're like, they're going to get a lot of advantage out of this. If I let this go, like if mm -hmm. I, if I don't attack into this Renin six or point some burn at this Renin six, like they're going to do a lot with it. And sometimes it's like, does it matter? Right? Like, so they're drawing cards. That's for Sentinel. Like, what are they going to do with those cards? Like, am I putting the proper clock on them? All that kind of stuff. And like, I'm not saying that I would think about it correctly in the moment too, because it's just like, that is just a lightning rod card. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that's the real lesson there. I overpaid on my disruption, which created an opening for them to play their own disruption. And as a result, it like, sounds a lot like I our burn conversation. I couldn't counterplay. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I maybe I should have taken that to heart. And and you make a really good point. Like Esper Sentinel, unless you're casting spells without paying attacks, it actually doesn't do anything. It's just like swinging for one and kind of threatening you with a taxing effect and you know maybe live in less fear of them drawing a card or two is is, is the lesson there if you're low on resources or low on interaction and need to save interaction for potential silver bullets that they have that's going yeah. to at least in my case playing rhinos disrupt my combo in some way yeah lavinia is really rough especially because you can't fury her man i really really yes. don't like that yeah, and she shuts off Force of Vigor and Force of Negation even. Lavinia's a scary card. She's a pooper. Lavinia also, my, my first GRV was Lavinia on the board. I had two mana. I tried to mystical dispute something else. Mm. And because I was on stream, the judge was present and immediately said, you can't do that because mystical dispute costs three mana, even though I'm only paying one, which is a... a do you call that an interaction? Oh, I don't know. But yeah. that, that's a condition that I I don't think I've ever really encountered and, and wasn't thinking about in the moment. And yeah, mana value is on the card, not on the stack. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. No, so tell um what else was kind of like your biggest learning lessons, cool level ups, like interesting sort of game states you found yourself in? I'm I'm really glad you asked that because since it was only five rounds, I just want to list off really quickly my five matchups because three of them were Totally left left field metagame calls on my opponent's part. Uh, my round one opponent was on Dice Factory. Oh, oh my goodness. My round two was on the aforementioned eight cast deck. Round three was Jeskai Humans foiled out with like Kessick Malcontents. Whoa. Sweet. Round four was Four Color Creativity. And round five was Eldrazi and Taxes. I played round five like Whoa. it was a win and in. Um, because my opponent and I were both X1 at that point, and I was worried in such a small field, X2 wouldn't make top eight. I did win, fortunately, but I think my opponent also made top eight because there were so many draws over the course of the mm. day, mm. which is kind of funny. A, that's a wild field. That's like stuff you don't have a sideboard guide for. You just kind of got to think about it and wing it. So exactly that. And three of those matches took me three games to win, and that was Dice Factory, Humans... And Eldrazi and Taxes. And in all three of those, I lost game one. 
And wow. I kind of felt like I didn't know what I was supposed to do in those matchups in general, with the exception of humans. Like humans, it's obvious. You point as many removal spells as you can in game one. I just drew three force of negations and lands, and I just couldn't do anything. And and they managed to either deputy or reflector mage. I think they deputied my two rhinos, and I just couldn't do anything else. But with Dice Factory and Eldrazi, like I just didn't fully understand my role in that matchup, and I had to spend game one just kind of like figuring that out. And I think thanks to all the practice I've been doing with Rhinos and just like learning how to navigate this across the format, I was able to successfully do that thing where it's just like, once I figured out exactly what my opponent was up to and how my cards line up against them, I was able to apply my learnings immediately and then take games two and three um, in all three of those situations, especially Dice Factory. Like for a few turns, I had no idea what my opponent was on in the Dice Factory matchup. And then they're like core tapper putting charge counters on Everflowing Chalice. I'm like, okay, I think I think I heard of this. At least. I've heard of this deck now. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. know what it's called. I don't know what it does. Yeah, it re- like I don't really. I don't know what that deck does. They make a billion mana with Everflowing Chalice, then they draw through their whole deck with like Mystic Forge and something else, and then I think they can Karn for a Walking Ballista in the side, and they can no, keep un- they can keep untapping their Everflowing Chalice with with other cards that I don't remember the names of and just essentially produce like near infinite colorless mana. Got cool. it. Perfect. Cool. Love doing that. Cool stuff. Um, so yeah, finally, I, I also want to mention my um, creativity matchup. That one I won 2-0. And I used to think creativity was a tough matchup, but after playing against it online at NRG and now at Green Bay, I've actually developed a lot more confidence in it than I had previously. And I found that like a force of negation and an ice in game one is sometimes like enough to slow them down where it's similar to burn that turn three cascade is like really important because they can Mm -hmm. just start threatening Archon of Cruelty basically anytime turn four or thereafter. And if you can just slow them down enough that you can start beating them down for like eight to 10 damage as early as turn four, that's usually enough with a little bit of disruption along the way. And then games two and three, um, if it goes to game three, like your blood moons are pretty good. Your mystical disputes are pretty good um, post-board. And I sort of found that like even Brazen Borrower, like if they resolve a single Archon or if they're just like going all in on a single clue token, crab token or dwarf token, just like borrowing away the target of creativity shuts them down so much that Borrower plus Mystical Dispute or even Borrower plus Force of Negation can sometimes be the one-two punch you need to keep them off their combo while you apply like significant pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all why I think that deck is fragile, but Hey, what do I know? It's increasing in meta share ever, literally every day. Not, not only that, Dave, it was the most popular deck in the room. I'm pretty sure four, three, if not four of the 17 players were on creativity. Oh wow. my gosh. Fun. I think, I think there were three creativity decks in one of the weekend challenges as well in the top eight alone. I mean, not just the top 32. It, it also won this, this particular RCQ. Um, Did it? Yeah. Yeah. Create one of the creativity players. So it was eight cast versus creativity in the finals. And if I understood the results correctly, creativity won. So, so there you go, Dave. Yeah. Lesson learned for you. I know. It's just going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. We'll, uh, we'll have a little bit more to talk about that when we get to Frank Carson's article. But uh, yeah. 
So Stan, um, in terms of any thoughts you have, because we have to give some Rhino thoughts, of course, we are the Rhino podcast now. Uh, anything you do differently, any thinking you're doing differently with the flex spots or sideboard spots right now, or just, I mean, that the meta you face is not one's typical meta, unless your store is very much like that. Sure. So I really felt kind of tortured about how to build my deck for this tournament because I could not make any predictions about what the room would be like totally unfamiliar room didn't know anyone in in there before i went and i decided to kind of just play the most stock version of rhinos that you can imagine so still keeping 25 lands because i'm i'm a strict believer of 25 lands to make room for a second beseju but then rather than doing main deck endurances or subtleties or anything else i just played three bone crushers and a frismari command and for this tournament at least I felt like that was the right call. My removal was really relevant. Bone Crusher Stomp in particular was super important in a lot of my matchups. Just having like a little extra point removal, either to go to face or to to get a human or a meddling mage or anything out of the way. So that was good. And and even the Prismari command, it won me my match in the end against Dice Factory, where I was able to shoot off a Prismari command to blow up an ever-flowing chalice and they couldn't recover from that, and my rhinos gored them. Yes, sometimes artifact removal can be good. And so exactly. they say. So they say. And yeah, and, and I used to feel like Bone Crusher was just the worst card in the deck, but I, I feel like maybe I've come around to that thinking a little bit too, that there's a time and a place that stomp, damage can't be prevented, is relevant. And I was really happy with my deck choice after the tournament, and I don't think I could have done anything differently against Affinity, except maybe play like Shatterstorm in the side, which is right. something you only do if you know. And I didn't know, so that that was that. I, I I had four endurance in the side that I never had to bring in, so it's just like this is small sample size, like not real problems. But yeah, but you wish you had it if it was like you know. Murph, Murktide, you know, yeah. yeah, Living End. But but you went to a lot of events, and you were you're consistently configured to go against graveyard decks with endurance, and it it weirdly didn't come up that much, right? It definitely did not come up in Green Bay and in NRG. I was playing, a, I played a, a a match against Murktide where mm. it was a card you play against that deck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I played any other grave or no, I I played against Murktide twice at NRG, so it's relevant in both of those matchups. Ah, there you go. Yeah, it's just I mean, you always just have to have a plan against Murktide, and it involves you know, it involves uh endurance. Yeah. Well, Stan, congrats. Good work. Good work, what, Stan. What a way to end the RCQ season. Fourth place, almost getting to the those finals. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it's bittersweet because on the one hand, like Top eighting, making fourth, like that's maybe my, I mean, it's actually my best performance in this RCQ season, but that's just like a good finish for a competitive modern tournament. And yeah. I'm, I'm certainly pleased with how I played overall. And you also have a second from that store championship at a similar size tournament and a fourth now and the finish that you had at NRG, which was, you know, top 10% of the field or not 10% field, field top, you know, X was, percent of the field. I was 25th, 25th. Out of two hundred or whatever, so yeah, it was close to it was close to ten percent. Top Cascader that day, yeah, that's, that's what I've heard. Um, 
Yeah, you know, it's cool. Like, I guess Rhinos is my deck. I don't think there's any more modern RCQs I can play this season, with the exception of perhaps a last chance. If there's a modern last chance in Atlanta that weekend, I might try to sneak it in, but I, I haven't looked at that calendar. I bet there is one. But at any rate, I mean, weirdly, we all, you all, I'm not we all because I didn't do any RCQs, but you all ended up on the same deck kind of after we rekindled a little bit of passion in it from Stan talking about it for a deck dive. You know, it's been the month of Rhinos. Mm-hmm. How, how do we feel about it? Looking back at the month of Rhinos, do we feel good about it? Wish we had done something else this RCQ season. What else was fun? What else would I play? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do Merktide things. I'm not going to do four color things. Uh, I think hammer is hammer is one of those decks where I'm just like, well, when I got fatal pushed five times or unholy, it's just like, you know, I don't want to play, I don't want to play that game where it's like, I've got to blink around, you know, people's removal and stuff like that. I got, you know, it's just, I think, I just don't know what other kind of deck I'd really be into besides like maybe Yogmoth, but even that, I just feel like, you know, like we've been talking about, I just, I really like the gameplay of rhinos and I, I still think it's perfectly viable in a in a meta game the meta game that's out there so i mean frank might disagree but i was you know also i mean of course that's represent that is based on representation as well i think a lot of people online are very off rhinos yeah. and i don't really know the reason for that besides maybe the fact that they just don't want to keep going up against murktide but i think the murktide the murktide matchup is not like 60 40 even i think that it's it's perfectly well you, you can you can you can tune yourself against uh, Murktide, and I have seen more, you know, things like subtleties coming up in the main and the side more, and I think people are developing better game plans against Murktide. But you know, it's still not my favorite matchup in the world. All those sideboard counter spells, my gosh. Hmm. Well, Shane, it sounds to me like what you ought to, ought to be doing is experimenting with just new decks for the sake of experimenting with new decks. And and I think to answer your question the long way, Dave, that that's sort of maybe next steps for me. On the one hand, I love playing Rhinos online because like I'm always going three, two or better. So I'm just kind of like racking up chests. Play points, yeah. And, and PPs. Uh, but on the other hand, like I really want to play this Bant Soul Hoarder deck that I keep losing to online. And it's, it you seems monster. super, super fun. Yeah. And, God. You know, I, w- I want to try that out. I really want to try like Kahira Elemental's because I think that deck is insane. I've always been super impressed with it. And it's similar to Rhinos for me in that I'm a little surprised that it doesn't see more play. And that I'd like to explore those too. But this was a good month. It, it was kind of like a, a nice reminder for me that I have a deck that I'm actually good-ish at. Right. And if if I have any regrets, it's this two RCQs I played with Merktide. And following the wrong side of my heart, perhaps. And... You know, hindsight is twenty twenty. At least I I pivoted when I did and, and made for two really good runs in my last two RCQs and excited to keep innovating with rhinos in addition to exploring new decks for for the pod and for myself. Awesome. Listeners, if you want to catch any of my featured matches, I haven't confirmed that the VODs are online, but I did have two featured matches and the folks at Frost Giant Games told me that they will be on YouTube. Perhaps they already are. You can see my quarterfinals match against blue moon which i did well in and then you can hopefully see my semifinals match against eight cast which i did not do well in Wait, there's a blood a blue moon player as well what a store that was that weekend oh the blue moon player is a former pro tour competitor as well <laughs> like sweet wow. they were they were very good cleaning up the room and then as 
Uh, as you can tell, they made it to top eight. So yeah, ch- check out Frost Giant Games. If you're in Northern Wisconsin, take a look at their calendar. Really cool shop to play in. Good, good scene. And um, gentlemen, at this point, I actually have to excuse myself. Bye, Stan. I, I, get I'm, back to vacation, please. Yeah, I'm going to go back to island time. Have a great episode. I will miss you. I'm excited to listen to it as a fan. Bye, buddy. It's going to be a great one. Yeah. We will miss your, I will miss having your reasonable takes against Shane's on, oncoming pessimism of uh, spoilers. But Dave, let me remind you to uh, look at the potential of the cards and, and look beyond your skill cap. And Shane, I'll remind you to try to think about why cards might be good rather than defaulting to all the reasons why they're perhaps obviously bad. I put a lot of cards on this list. All right. All right. All right, dudes. Until next week, have fun without me. (laughs) It takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. Oh, God. Now I can relax now that he's gone. That guy with his top eight Zs and his oh my gosh. rhino Zs, his, tw- his cashings, <laughs> his min caches. I can't oh, yeah, handle Stan with all his min caches. <laughs> I don't know what he won. No, good work, Stan. Yeah, um, we love you. Okay, we got. We have an hour and a half left, and we have a lot of, ta- we have a lot of pages that were on page two. We're Stan not going to get through all this. No, of course but, we're not. But let's, let, let, I think let's just breeze through this Frank's analysis of modern. So. Yeah. Great to talk about a building off of Stan, or this discussion we just had about RCQs. I think we're coming towards the end of RCQ, not end of RCQ season, maybe the two-thirds of the way through RCQ I season, maybe. I cannot believe, how long is this season? I thought I it was know. like three weekends, and it's like three months. It's going on and on and on. I don't know for sure how long they go on. I assume they go on until the last minute, until Atlanta at the end of November, so we might have a while to go yet. Wow, I still got a chance. But let's check in here. Stan doesn't think he's going to anymore. You may or may not go to some. I'm probably there's not. Nothing on my, there's nothing on the calendar I can go to, but I don't know if that means that that's the end of the calendar. Yeah. So. But also worth noting, you know, there's a new set coming out. And so maybe, yeah. just maybe, we could have a bit of a shakeup incoming at some point soon. So let's take a look at Frank Karsten's latest metagame yep. analysis article. We talked about po- the Pioneer one last week. We talked about the setup. Um, he had a rather large sample size. He had 661 decks yes, that yes. he ended up using for his sample. We talked about, yep, paper and online, kind of marquee events, paper and online. And uh, Shane, why don't you take us through the no. record-weighted metagame share according to Frank's methodology? So, that, yeah, record-weighted metagame share. Is it Merktide? 18.6%. Four-color Omnith. It's funny. Uh, he had a Twitter poll where he was just like, what would you call this deck? I know. And, and, and I was like, no, that one's four-color blank, Frank. But I think he, he kind of basically piled all of the, the Omnith decks, Sir Omnith, uh, 12.1% for Omnath decks. Hammer Time, 7.9%. Yep. Amulet Titan, 6.1%. Burn at 6 Living End at 5.9%. And there's our, there's, our, there's our above 5%. Yeah. So let's stop there for a minute and look at this kind of first tier of decks from him and give some real-time reacts. And I think you heard my real-time react to this, which is 18.6% Merktide. 18.6. So, so Dave, I mean, let's just say this here. So it's 18.6 is not just who showed up. This is right. a this is a weighted with, with Frank's weighting system. The, yeah. uh, think of it as net wins. Yeah. So basically divided by total net wins in the population. That's that's what this is. Net wins for a deck archetype divided by 
net wins or by net wins in the entire population of those 661 decks we talked about. Would, would you say, Dave, that in these competitions, that is it Merktide, what, what were our percentages of Merktide in the last paper events we've covered? Isn't it like 15 to 18%? I think it's closer to 15% than okay. it is to 18%, but those are highly subject to variants, of course. Yes. So it's in the ballpark, but still getting, I don't remember it getting close to 20. And that's really where yeah. we are is kind of the upper end of what we expect. Yeah. So let's say, is it Merktide is slightly overperforming its, even its popularity. That's yeah, how I would like to seems look at to this. Be. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say Four Color Omnath is maybe about where you would expect, at least where it's where I would expect. Yeah, it's it's certainly where I would expect. I would expect it to be the second deck. I feel like 12% from it is maybe a little underperforming its, its raw meta share, but hard to say without seeing the numbers. But I, I kind of thought that it would be closer to Murktide, but... It's kind of splitting hairs. It's still only yep. 660 decks. It's one week of results. Yep. Maybe Omnath just got a little bit less popular for a minute, but certainly these are the two decks we expected to be at the top of the list. They're still at the top of the list. They'll remain at the top of the list for a while. And I'd say However, the, top, the next three, yes. mildly surprising, perhaps. All of them, I think. Yeah, because I think you look at Hammer Time as like a deck that had its time, and then it's like sort of gone away and then it's you know the, the the hardcore hammer time players the the will krugers and who's the player that that brings their own brew of it and like top eights all these challenges on magic online it is uh crusher bot crusher bot thank you dave so yeah i mean i think you you kind of look at it as like maybe a an experts deck at this point and it might still be but i think that hammer time is definitely creeping back up into be the top tiers of the format yeah i think that a month ago or six weeks ago the perception was really heavy that hammer was only for the people who are the real lifers the real the real hammer brothers the real mario skill that was the coolest one but i think that for some reason people it's gotten much more broadly picked up by people who used to play it and coming in third is a big big surprise to me cuz i feel like now it does match its representation on goldfish yeah for for what it, for whatever that means at this point in time but the um I certainly feel like it was a lot lower about a month ago. Yeah, I think people just realized, hey, it's still pretty decent. We've talked about this somewhat recently, I think, because it's done. It's been pretty popular. It's about the paper events that we've covered. And so it's it's good to see that uh, Hammer is still around. And I think the blue-white version is just kind of where you want to be right now. I think uh, the reactivity rather than proactivity with like the Thoughtseize-style builds, it just makes more sense. I think the, the silver bullets out of the sideboard with like Lavinia and mana leak and you know even i mean of course cards like Ma dranith magistrate and such can be cast just with white but i think that the blue gives you the opportunity to you know cheeky spell pierce cheeky mana yeah. leak someone and and that does a lot that's true all right amulet titan in fourth another deck that i think people have felt is sort of falling off a little bit but it's always just maintaining itself in like the you know four to five percent on uh, MTG Goldfish. It's been rising up, I think, quite a bit over the last month. Like, actually, I mean, I'm, sometimes you ever do the sort, Dave, where it's like you sort by 90 days, by 30 days, by 14 days. And like mm -hmm. Amul Amulet Titan has been exactly the same. It's been 5% of the meta over the past three months, over the past one month, over the past two weeks. So, wow. Amulet is exactly where it needs to be, I think. And Amulet pilots are going to want to keep playing it. And I think it has sort of a raw power level that can't be trifled with too easily. Yeah, I mean, this really doesn't match what we've seen in paper or big events when we've looked at the meta, though. You know, Amulet Titan has been more like eighth 
in meta representation and a number of the decks that are below this 5% threshold have been in the fourth, fifth, third place. And we'll get to those in a minute because um, there are some notable decks missing from this breakdown, or at least from the top end of this breakdown. And I'm thinking of two or three things in particular, but yeah, Amulet Titan coming back. I think that, you know, I don't, I don't love it, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that are glad to know they can still play their deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of playing your deck burn at 6%, I honestly refuse to believe this is because of burns power level. I think it's, it definitely is, is less than you see the representation on uh, goldfish. That's always like a, you know, six to 8% deck. And this is slightly below that. So I think, I don't think burn is an extremely good deck. I think it's a consistent enough deck with enough people playing it where it will sort of hang out in that range and to, till the end of modern's existence. Yeah, I think totally true. I, I think that what was really interesting is that you pointed out that, that team event from over the weekend. What was that? Was it SCG Syracuse? Baltimore? Uh, that was Baltimore. Baltimore, where the, the the match win rate of burn was like 38 <laughs> percent or something the, that was the modern 5k on sunday but yeah oh, okay. the burn, burn was like one of the more represented decks and had like a 38 percent win rate but you know of Brutal. course yeah it's just that's that's the kind of stuff you see with burn where it's like oh we, we got a 40 percent win rate on the day for burn and i think that they're you know, I lost to Burn last weekend. Burn was in the top eight of the you know seventy person event and stuff like that. And I think that Burn can find a way. But I think that's you know, I think you do have a, just a slightly uphill battle. You have to draw slightly better. You have to think slightly harder for your wins nowadays. And that's not necessarily where I want to be all the time. Yeah, I love not thinking. <laughs> yeah, hard for me to not think, but uh, sometimes I think so much I don't think. Um, living end. Highest Cascade deck somehow at this point yeah. in time in this particular sample, and way more than Team of Rhinos, which came in yeah. in 14th place with 1.8%, and Glimpse of Tomorrow, which I expected to have more of an up arrow next to it, uh, is at 1.7. Those are the 14th and 15th decks on Frank's sample. So living at way out in front of those. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Glimpse creeping up over between this metagame record-weighted metagame share in the next one once we ha he has more data, I think, for Glimpse decks. Because I, I do feel like they're reaching a crescendo at this point. I think better players are bringing the decks. Like I, I, I think some of the top players in the room at my RCQ were on Glimpse. Uh, so I think it's I think it's a rising star. But yeah, I think, I mean, Living End, like we talked about just a couple, last week, two weeks ago? When two was that? Two weeks ago, yeah. two weeks. Yeah. With, uh, with CCR. Um. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good solid deck, and I think it has a good game plan. And it's definitely just more of a, a door close than casting a couple of rhinos. So, like, if you want to maneuver yourself into into those particular game situations, then more power to you. Living endum, absolutely. And going below the five percent mark, this is where things continue to get interesting to me. So, I'm going to go through the down to let's say down to three percent sure. from here. So, in seventh place was. In Indomitable Creativity at 4.7%, then followed by Yawgmoth at 4.4%, then Grixis Shadow at 3.1%, and Mono Green Tron at 3.0%. <laughs> Creativity. Yeah. Creativity suddenly in the top 10 of MetaShare decks by performance and representation here. And that is overperforming its representation, I think. I think so too. And this deck is just going to haunt me after what I said a couple of weeks ago, I guess. Enough so that I'm kind of like, maybe I should give it another try again, again. 
you you just put the you know, gauntlet down for all the players out there to be, hey, I want to prove Dave wrong. I'm going to do well with indomitable creativity. And they are. Find me on Twitter, and I, I want to like ride along on someone's league on uh, on Twitch. <laughs> Get at me, creativity players. Let's do it. I want to watch. I want to learn. Show me how to do it right. Yogmoth, eighth place. Yogmoth, always in eighth place. Mm-hmm. Yogmoth never be picked up by other people. You know, I, I don't know. It, it never gets up, never goes down, always has a great win record. As we know, uh, we like it. You know, I don't think that any of us think that it's like a absurdly powerful deck or some kind of uniquely positioned meta breaker, but it's it's always good. I look at Yawgmoth right now as like the better burn, even though it's a completely different deck, right? Which is like it's it's got its consistent people who like playing it, and then it does like it's like a fifty five percent win rate. Yeah, I mean, I love all the kinds of burn. There's burn and mill and Yawgmoth. They're all the burn decks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in Shane, term, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, I just mean in terms in terms of like player profile, right? Like there are people who just are going to no one's no one very few people are going to just be like I'm going to play Yawgmoth this weekend. Do you know what I mean like I'm not going to pivot into Yogg, yeah. right? Yeah. For like an event, like I'm just going to be, I'm going to become the the Yogman and and live it for a while. And I think that's kind of like the same type of people probably play like Living End or Burn or Titan. I think more than other decks that maybe people might pivot more easily into. And I think Yogg is just kind of like if you're into it, you're going to play it, and you're going to do pretty well with it. You're going to be like 54 percent. Yeah, that's exactly kind of how I feel about it. Two, all right. Next couple of decks on this top 15, because we don't need to talk about Grixis Shadow, which is, you know, pretty medium right now. I've seen people refer to it as bad Murktide. I somewhat <laughs> tend to agree that that's they're very similar anyway. Um, and then Mono Green Tron, fine. Mono Green Tron still hanging in there. But after that, the rest of the top 15 decks are Azorius Control, Rakdos Undying, aka Scam, Infinity, uh, Affinity, Team of Rhinos and Glimpse, as we already talked about. 1.8% for poor Rhinos. Yeah, I mean... We're just suddenly become very indie to be a Rhinos player. I'm fine with it. The, I mean, that means that as long as people stop preparing as hard for it, I'm fine. As long, there's, no, there's no void mirrors out there. I don't care. Like, as, as long as I have fewer artifacts to fight through. The, I think any surprises here. Like, Azorius Control seems like it's getting maybe a slight amount of a comeback here. I mean, there's, there's another one for me here, too, which is that... The word on the street is that Rakdos scam is maybe a real deck and it's, it's not it's, a scam. It's real. Yeah, I think it's real. And so I, if I'm looking at decks that I am eyeballing for the next thing that I want to try, oh, when yeah. I'm firing up a league, it's Rakdos scam. Well, we've that got seems our, we've got very our next cool, deck very dive. interesting. We've got yeah. our next deck dive ready to go because I'm also considering um, just expanding my horizons a little bit. You know, I'm not. I don't need to prep for my next RCQ event, so I don't need yep. to stay on Rhinos. Might as well have some fun with some cards I own. Yep. I love those Rakdos cards. What can I say? You are a Rakdosman. I used to be such a nice blue-white player, and now I'm just like, yeah, just give me value and thought sees. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, I think there are there's some surprises, but I think largely this sort of mirrors in my brain. Like, if you ask me to make a list, I'd probably have like I have Yogmoth a little bit higher. I maybe have Shadow a little bit higher right now. But in terms of the time span that that Frank's looking at. It's what two weeks, the the twenty seventh until the fifteenth. Yeah, so it's not a you, huge span. If you think about the the show that we had with Zach Allen about six weeks ago, now we said there's four pillars of the modern format. It's Merktide slash Ragavan decks, which is Merktide and Grixis Shadow, 
Omnath slash Yorian decks, Yogmoth, and Cascade were the four things that we said. And if you look at what's actually in this meta, there's a number of things that are, you know, it's quite it's a little different picture right now because Amulet Titan's up there, so you have your lands combo deck that is starting to creep back in, and then Hammer Time is up there where we didn't yep. really talk about any straight aggro decks. And I know that Hammer is more than aggro, but I mean realistically, you're trying to go fast or assemble the combo fast. It's yep. in fact. And um that's cool, you know? It's cool to see a little bit of change. Yeah, I feel like People want a little bit of a change, I think, right now. I think people are a little... And when I say people, I mean... I include me in here. I feel like Murktide and Omnath are way outsized pillars from everything else, right? And they sort of suck a lot of air out of the room in terms of people's mental and cardboard preparation, in terms of the conversations that take place about the game. And I'd love to see something shake it up. I'm not saying that we need to force a shake up, right? I'm not suggesting any kind of bans or anything like that, but I'm I'm hoping that just the natural churn natural churn of the you know, the cardboard that comes out will kind of allow us to have some shifts here because I don't feel like this is shifting naturally, right? Like people yeah. are prepared for Murktai, they're prepared for Omnath, but these decks still keep pounding. Yeah, I mean the only thing I have to say about that, which I, I agree in principle it would be nice to see some changes that it's been a long time since a new set came out. I mean, what are we talking about for Capenna? Like, was that three months ago, three and a half yeah, months it feels, ago? Feels like forever. When Ledger Shredder came out. I mean, it's a long time. We didn't have a summer set this year that, you know, that had any modern playable card, modern legal cards in it. And so we've been waiting. So I am hopeful that Dominaria will have something that impacts modern. Now, like we, I tipped at the beginning of the show, I'm not sure that we have those cards yet, but um, I'm hopeful that we can get to something more interesting that way instead of taking a ban. Although, for the record, I still think you are in should be banned, but it is what it is. All right. Let's take a little bit of time to talk about these uh, the NRG Team Trios preview, perhaps? Yep. yep. So our partners at uh, Nerd Rage Gaming are having a tournament this week in uh, St. Louis, and it is team constructed, and it is, uh, I assume, I'm just confirming right now, It is is it Modern yeah. Pioneer Legacy? Exactly. Yeah, the, yeah, the three. Okay. How do you want to approach this? Do you want to be kind of like, one of the things I think we could look at is that SCG Baltimore just had a Team Trios event there as well. Sure. And so we can kind of look at, I think, the, the popularity of decks. So in terms of Pioneer, Dave, guess what the top three decks were? I know, I'll get, guess the top five, Dave. You bet you can get all of them without looking. Oh, boy. I don't know if I can get all of them. I mean, I'm sure it's Rakdos Mid. I'm sure it's Phoenix. I'm sure Mono Green. I'm sure uh, after that it falls off for Boros Aggro. It's that's that's sixth. That's sixth. Is uh, mono red? That's uh, eighth. Eighth. <laughs> this is okay. going downhill fast. All right. Let uh, me the, let me know the last the two that I missed. Azorius control. Ooh. Oh yeah. Azorius control and mono blue spirits. In fact, spirits the, is still in the top five. That's the yeah, one that I didn't people, think would still be there. Maybe we're gunning for the for the top deck. So in terms of the decks that were listed here, we have uh, devotion first, phoenix second, Rakdos mid. Third, Azorius Control fourth, and Mono Blue Spirits fifth. Closely followed by a number another of other you know format stalwarts of Heroic, Grease Fang, Mono Red, etc., etc., etc. And then our modern 
is exactly what we were just kind of talking about. We've got Murktide, Four Color Blank, Living End, Burn, Titan, GDS, Four Color Elementals, Hammer, all that kind of stuff. Yawgmith. And then Legacy, which I don't even feel remotely capable of talking about, so we won't, is things like, you know, Delver, uh, the eight cast, <laughs> and Delver. Eight and cast Delver. deck, and Death and Taxes and Elves and, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But anyway. And Delver. So, don't forget Delver. I think people are going to bring the good decks in the same way that they have been. There's nothing, there's no shakeup that's coming for this particular tournament. People are going to bring, I think, what they feel is safe i do think that there's a mentality of you don't want to do anything a little bit rogue because then unless you can really can convince your partners yeah and also there was a little bit of a shakeup on the last at the from energy chicago we're keeping in mind that joe bernal is now the leaderboard for the entire season as far as as far as the points go i don't think he was before and in season two points, I'm trying to sort the leaderboard by season two points right now. Zach is still ahead, but I know that Zach Dubin also went up on the field a good amount as well. Um, so there is, yeah, Zach Dubin might be in the lead on season two now, actually. Yeah, Zach Dubin's in first with 44 points. Zach Allen is in second with 39 points. Josh Warsaw, 38. Robert Hayes, 35. Scott Polera, 34. Four, and then it kind of keeps going from there. So there was some changing that happened over the last weekend here. I'll, I feel like there's a lot of people here who are still on the hunt who weren't, uh, you know, the standings didn't change it a huge, huge amount from Chicago, although there's a new person in the lead, really good player in the lead, the winner of the last, last event. So it does make me think that the best players will probably be pretty conservative with what they bring. Long way of saying that I agree with you. <laughs> Shame. Yeah, no, I love I love the long way to agree with me as long as we get to the proper destination, Dave. Uh, Which is agreeing with you. Yes, yeah. I do. and also I want to point out fifth place Scott Polera, citizen of the Dive Down Nation, Scott Polera. Yes, get there. So, um, hi Scott. Yeah, so I mean, I think we're going to see the good decks. I think people are going to be. I think we're going to see a safe meta. I don't think we're going to see a lot of random stuff. I do. I am curious if we're going to start seeing the glimpse concepts spread out a little bit more further i wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more than that than i would previously expect also because i think glimpse doesn't necessarily go super long i think sometimes you know people do want to not play the super long games especially in the team tournaments because it sort of like holds up your whole team i think people want maybe to be a little bit more uh conclusive in their wins but you know that's just talking out of very little experience on my end yep so yeah uh in terms of this event I wish everyone to have a great experience, play well, have fun with your friends. Team events are the absolute best way to play Magic. Uh, I've never done a, turn- a, a constructed tournament. I've only done limited, but twice with right. you. So, and those have been some of my favorite memories of Magic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was going to say, have some fried ravioli. <laughs> yes. Tell them the dive down sent you. Have some uh, Provel cheese on your pizza. Oh, yeah, that too. All right, Dave, let's take a quick break, That's uh, and then we will be right back for talking about the first batch of Dominaria United spoilers. Stay with us. So I got something I've been waiting on for a while, and it is the shaving soap and the aftershave lotion, uh, kind of like the, the splash of La Grande... I'm going to butcher this, Shipra. And man, this stuff owns. Okay? Like, wow. You know, it's, it's, it is a, it, oh, Shipra. There's a pronunciation guide. 
online. Thank you, Barrister and Man, for providing that. So, Berg- I think it's Barrister and Man. man? Uh, yeah. Bergamot, lime, laban- labandum, I don't know what that is, oak moss, a touch of patchouli, elegant citrusy heart, which I'm into. See, I like more lighter notes. I don't need like a lot of sweetness in my fragrances. I kind of like something that's a little bit fresh, but not just sort of a generic aquatic-y smell. And I think this is one of my new favorites. I love the, you know, the, the quality of the soap is always awesome, but the, the fragrance of it and the splash are an awesome combination. I also got, Dave Wallant, what did you get before I go on? So Will understands that I do not really shave and I don't use a razor. So I have, my relationship with Barrister Man is much more in the soaps zone and the aftershave splash and that kind of stuff. So I got a drop that had um, a bunch of bars of soap in it, which I desperately needed. I'm telling you, find a fragrance you like and get the soap. The soap is wonderful. It adds so much to just kind of every day. I've been using the Bay Rum Oh, nice. lately. I had that the last couple of packages and uh, believe it or not... And Shane, you know my wife. Yes. I finally actually got a compliment from her <sighs> about my how I smell nice. No. She was like, you smell nice. And I was like, really? <laughs> That's way better than a stranger at the grocery store. It is. Yeah. To have your wife actually pay attention. It's amazing. <laughs> so it was, it was good. Yeah. So I definitely, you know, if you're not into shaving, if you're not into shaving soaps, go check them out still. Get the soaps. I use the hand soaps in my house. I have my favorite one is called Fern. Mm. That one is great, uh, but they're all they're all wonderful. Yeah. So yeah, um, I will do a further review of the other scents that uh, will set my way as well. And I also I did get a bar of I got a bar of the Grand Chipra soap, so I need to bust that out because I'm just I've been so off bar soap, and I'm just afraid to go back because it's just like oh, it dries my skin out. I don't love it, but I'm going to check this out and I'll report back. So if you want to get 15% off your first order of Barrister and Man, which you do, it's great stuff. Use the code the dive down 15 when you check out and that lets will know you came from us and we appreciate it citizen of the nation will appreciate appreciates it and uh, i think you will when you get that box thanks all right it's our favorite time of the year it only comes five times a year i feel like it's been a while and you know, it's been too long. It's been it's been so long for us to be wrong about things, be excited about the wrong things, completely miss Ledger Shredder. Let's do it again this season. <sighs> I'm so annoyed about that. Still, it said connive on it, and everyone was like, "Nope, yeah, not, not, not paying attention." Not a There's thing. two connive cards that are good. I Don't know. forget. I know. Yeah, at least two. But anyway, all right. Here so we, we are. We got a Dominary bunch of United. Stuff. Yep, we talked about a few cards last week, but now we have a lot more things to talk about. Uh, Shane, yeah, we even got we even got new mechanic. We got new mechanics that we didn't even have in the intro. We had this. Yeah, I like. I, mean, I, just, I think this is. I think this is good because I think it's just a good piece of design. Okay. In the stun counters, and I, let's talk about it from an aesthetic sense rather than a modern I mean, playability sense. I mean, this could be stun counters. Basically, what this is is like you know all those cards that have said forever, like does not untap during the next untap phase or something like that. Doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. Blah blah blah. Yep. And you're just have to be like, oh, that one doesn't untap. Don't forget. Uh uh uh. And what stun counters are are kind of an elegant upgrade, I think, to that because they provide a visual visual representation of that reminder text, but they can mm-hmm. also stack 
Right. So you, you can get you can accumulate more. Yeah. So like this card impede momentum for one in the blue. It's a sorcery. You tap a target creature. You put three stun counters on it. Three. And that's a, a lot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, dude. If so, if a permanent with a stun counter would become untapped, remove one from it instead. So basically, this thing's tapped for like what three and a Four half turns. turns? Yeah, yeah. Three turns. I mean, yeah. You get you get to attack into it one time, and then it doesn't untap three times. That's that's, that's a, lot. a lot. Yeah, and, and then it has Scry 1. Yeah, and too. then Scry 1. Look at the top card of your library. You may put the card on the bottom of your library if you didn't know what Scry was. So, yeah, I mean, I think this... I mean, That's what Scry does? Yeah, weird, right? All so these years. This is a nice piece of limited interaction. For I don't, sure. I don't think this particular card is going to see, like, constructed play tomorrow or anything like that. But I think that this kind of feature, if you have enough stun counters to go around, that's a lot more annoying than, like, a, a mass tap effect sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But when do you think we're going to see the card? Do we have we seen a card yet that says put it on a put stun counters on a land by any ooh, chance? Ooh. Do you remember back in maybe uh Shadows over Innistrad when they were playing around a little bit with red cards that made it so that you know like it, it was there was a vampire that was like three it was like a hill giant that when it came into play target land doesn't untap next turn. Oh nice. So you could have one of your opponent's lands not untap. Uh, that could be interesting too. Yeah, we'll I mean, I think there's a cool design space here. I like the just visual representation of it. I think it's cleaner. I think it has more opportunities for design and play. So I'm all for stun counters being a thing. Yeah. All right. So the other mechanical theme that I think we've noticed that I would love to mention here at the top, because I don't think there's any cards that are playable from it yet, although Shane might disagree, um, is there are some cost reduction mechanics in this set that are look like they're cycles, right? So the first one is the defilers. Those are all very expensive. They look probably more like their EDH cards or something, but it's those are cards that when you have the defiler in play of whatever color, it turns the colored pips of permanents or creatures in your hand with those colored pips in them into Phyrexian mana symbols, which is interesting. And then you generally get a bonus when you cast a spell that corresponds to it. The blue one's been spoiled, and I think the white one has been spoiled so far. They're both too expensive, but who knows? Maybe we'll get a cheap one in one of the other colors. Maybe. Who knows? Possibly. Or one that affects spells. Like, maybe if the red one affected spells and some kind of terrifying ritual kind of idea, like, maybe maybe that would be a thing. Mm. So, I would keep an eye out for that. The other thing is these cards in the graveyard cards. And those are cool. But we've only got a few of them so far. Shane, I know you're a fan of the blue one and the black one. Is that right? Eh, I mean, fan. Medium? I think that we'll talk about those. Why Why? why you got to spoil it so early, Dave? Because uh, these are cards I think people should look out for the good versions of. Yeah, I mean, anything, so to- anything that reduces cost for playing a game is right. fine, right? Like, I mean, right. there's, there's certain things I think you can do to accelerate, like putting cards in your graveyard that might be relevant or, you know, any kind of... Uh, type card type, but sometimes it's just a reward for playing a game like Bedlam Reveler. Yes, and so Talarian Terror six generic and a blue for a creature serpent. This card costs one less, one generic less for each instant and sorcery in your graveyard. It has Ward two. It's a five five, and that is it. That's it. Just a five five. No anything. Yep. And then there's Writhing Necromast that is six generic and a black for a zombie giant. This spell costs one less to cast for each creature card in your graveyard. Death Touch, 5 5, Blomp. Yeah. I, so, okay. We're just talking about these now. I, I think, yeah. I think the blue one 
and even potentially the black one for for curiosity's sake. I think I think Tellurian Terror has a shot in Pioneer somehow. Uh, the real thing is it lacks any evasion. It lacks trample, it lacks yeah. flying, it lacks unblockable. The only thing I would say is there is a card in Pioneer already that is five <laughs> UU. Yeah. This spell costs one less for each instant and sorcery in in card in your graveyard. Oh, well, there and you it's go. a five five. Oh. As well. It does not have Ward Two. Uh, um I don't know if Ward Two is enough at that point. Yeah. I mean Ward but is it's annoying. The same, it's the same card. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I, I think that it's always for me, you know, I always see the best in every card, Dave. And so <laughs> That's how it works yeah, around so here. I'm trying to I'm trying to see the upside here. I, yeah. I just I mean I have found that Ward is kind of annoying, but at the time when you are casting this, I mean Sure, your opponent's maybe going to tap four instead of tap two, and then they're going to kill your Telerian Terror, or they're just going to block it for, you, for a few turns. So yeah. I could be wrong here. There's definitely a possibility that because it's only one colored pip when it's powered up to cast it, that's, that's a thing. And maybe, who knows, maybe this is the synergistic piece that pushes Bedlam Reveler and Terramander forward <laughs> into some kind of, you know, some kind of mono, this spell costs less for each instant sorcery in your graveyard to cast deck. I, I think that when on its face, it's a fine card. I think it's probably more of a limited card. Yeah. This is not um, a great card. This is just a card. Yeah. yeah. Writhing Necromass, the black one for creatures feels to me like it has a little bit more potential because there's more internal synergy with a couple of different cards. Yeah. I think that there's a deck here, like in terms of like this with like the new also spoiled, I think recently the Urborg Lurgoif. That's like the Royal Juror. Uh, the Urborg Lurgoif. <laughs> Lurgoif. They uh, did that on purpose. They had for to. sure. Uh, which is a, so let's talk. Okay. So rather than Necromass, yeah, just the five, five with cost reduction for creatures in your graveyard. The Lurgoif is a star one, one, one plus star. So like a goif, uh, yeah. it, is cost one in the green like a goif and it has kicker blue or black and or black so it's blue uh demir hybrid and you can pay an additional yeah blah 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 as it cast it when it yeah. etbs you mill three for each time it was kicked and it's e its power is equal to the number of creature cards in your graveyard and its toughness plus one so right that effectively like i can just see people messing around with like a stitcher supplier a satyr wayfinder what's the one that like dumps cards in your graveyard like the green sort of like mill like dig five put one in your hand like is that gather the pack or is that something else oh yeah 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 i know the card you're talking yeah. about i mean the other card that this goes with is a card that we thought was going to make a splash in a bunch of formats and has it is fiend artisan right? sure, which is sure. a card that's just star star it's equal to the power of the creatures and all your blah 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 so right i i think that there will be some not great decks that play these cards and people will have fun with them and i think that's what's really great about them is that but like i mean maybe these are just like some crazy statted creatures and people are just gonna be like well this sucks like unless i'm playing against i mean there's a lot of unless i'm playing against control it's gonna sweep me away like they're just gonna outstat me on the board yeah and then there's the red one that is probably not good where it's a it's seven generic and a red for a five five trample that says this spell costs x less to cast where x is the greatest power among creatures you control no this is this and, has been tried you know, before it's just like you already have to have the battlefield you know, yeah. so sewn up or like, you know, you have to be winning for this to be castable. Yeah. I don't think it's enough. I mean, if this was, if this had haste, maybe it would be something that you would be looking at, but sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. 
but, but yeah. okay so we'll wait we'll wait with bated breath for the green and the white ones of these and see see what happens but um you know keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out for the other uh defilers as well i mean knowing Watsy, if it, the green one's going to be outrageous so <laughs> i hope so so i we i was kind of a little bit hopeless going in to be like well we have some pioneer potentials here and i think we have 2.5 pretty good modern cards to talk about All so got far spoiled today on yeah, monday thank goodness thank you watsi's release schedule for giving us some modern cards to talk about on our ostensibly modern based podcast so the one that kind of opened my eyes the most i think is temporary lockdown one white white enchantment when it ETBs exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less until temporary lockdown leaves the battlefield. This doesn't seem very temporary to me. No, I'm just this, gonna this say. is messed up. Uh, I mean, what's the, the nicest thing I can say is that it's double white. So it makes it slightly harder to cast in right. like the most popular modern decks. But like mana doesn't really matter anymore for four color decks. So, and not modern that much. You can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, that's that's a good life lesson and um, a lesson for modern day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, this. I mean, what like this in terms of big decks? Like it hoses like Yogmoth and Hammer and Shadow, and like it continues to stomp on any kind of tribal deck or small creature deck that wants to show up and and try to rear its head out of the you know the prairie dog hole. Like you know, handles construct tokens, Rhino tokens, of course, but. Like, man, this this card's cheap. Do you remember how how wild we went for Hitagetsu yes. consumes all this a is, couple of months yes, ago? This is obviously this is just better, right? I mean, I think it's definitely better in a lot of ways. It's 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 yeah. better right now because we don't have to worry about graveyards as much for like all the Lurish shenanigans. Oh, the other one, yeah, that's right, that's right. You don't have to wait forever for the for the, this to go. It's just kind of like bye. Yeah, I mean, you can even like you can even bounce this like late game. Like to, and you just pick up stuff that was played since it first ETB'd. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, right. you bounce it with Yorian or something like that, right? So, yeah. Uh, I mean, so what does this do? This goes into probably four color control sideboards. This goes into like Azorius decks that are kicking around, right? Like, this is just a card that I think is going to be part of the fabric of modern. Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem with this is that, not problem. But one of the hardest things for cards like this in Modern is that so many of the decks have mana curves that are around having two or less just because of the efficiency of the format. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of decks that maybe can play this that don't want to. If you think about like a... Um, if you think about like a... Um, Hammer is not going to play it in the sideboard or well, anything. De yeah, Hammer could play it, right? Exactly. Death and Taxes, if any kind of Taxes variant, like all of those are are small creatures non like that kind land of stuff. permanent dave not even just yeah. creatures non-land yeah. permanent yeah and then there's no like mid-rangey white decks that would pick this up you know what i mean the yeah. only thing is like you said four four color might do it because they don't have anything they I mean, well they do have things but they don't have um as many targets as they might want to get against something like yogmoth or hammer or shadow no. This is like Blood Moon for two drops. Oh boy, that's a that's a good point. It's like you have to yeah, you have to have enchantment removal. And sometimes your two drops needed, you know, they needed to keep what was on them. Like maybe they needed to keep yeah. some counters or they had a equipment attached to them or something like that. So I mean I guess if if you do remove this with hammer, you get a bunch of ETB triggers, right? So like does do you get like a Sigarda's aid trigger? Because like it's yeah, yeah so that's that's a good I guess. You sort of can reform what you needed to. 
back onto the battlefield. Yeah, with that this deck. is one of those cards where I wonder a little bit if they made it more powerful than they used to because of the existence of Boseju. Now, where they're kind of like so many people can run a piece of enchantment removal main. Yeah. Now that they're just like, okay, well, we can make more powerful enchantments. I will say, as much as I think that this card does have some kind of home in modern, it's probably a specialized piece and sideboard. If you think about Pioneer, this <laughs> card is even even more powerful, I think, just because it more directly attacks a couple of really important decks in that that are keeping the mid-range fest from getting out of out of hand in Pioneer, right? So this completely yeah. destroys Boros Heroic. It completely destroys um, completely destroys the other deck that I like, Mono Blue Spirits. Yeah, Spirits would not love this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, red, red aggro is more creature-based, so that hurts that. I just feel like it doesn't hurt the good decks, do you know what I mean? I mean the the, the top tier decks like Mono Green and yeah. Is it Phoenix and Rakdos and things like that are all just like fine. And also notably none of them can play this card, so yeah. maybe it doesn't have a home. I mean, I guess it has a home in blue eyes. Azorius control, control sure. which is very good. Yeah. So yeah, I think this is this is a card that you will see play. It will be part of our formats. It will be something that you have to think about and can be cons- you know considering and hope your opponent doesn't draw if they can cast it. If you're playing decks that matters. Switching back to modern really quickly, you had mentioned that there was a little bit of an up, uptick in blue-white control. You know, it's more like the decks that we saw maybe a year ago where it was like, oh, they're running Chalice main, and maybe they're running like really serious, like just kind of hate cards main. So it's like the slowest version of white. I even saw one that was running Subtlety. It was like Subtlety and Solitude and all that kind of stuff where it's just kind of like, okay, we're doing the pitch elementals. We have some solid hate cards. And then now maybe we have this too in there to really help with non-creature permanent, problematic non-creature permanents. I mean, in a pinch, you could play this to get rid of like an amulet of vigor if you were really far behind and wanted to get rid of that and an arboreal grazier or something like that. So there's there's all kinds of weird things where this is going to come up. Yeah, I'm not excited about this one. Like stuff like this casts a really wide net, and I I'm not sure that we need to be afraid of the decks that are doing what this card is going to hate against. Right? Like maybe hammer is like okay, maybe that's slightly too good sometimes but i don't know yeah. like, I, I feel like this this keeps stuff that's already kind of hurting down even more so but we'll see yeah all right karns silex is the next yeah. you want to talk about sweeper effects i feel kind of similar about this card as i do about temporary lockdown to be honest so sure. karn silex silex is three generic for a legendary artifact karn silex enters the battlefield tapped players can't pay life or cast spells to cast spells or to activate abilities that aren't mana abilities. Say what? And then it has another ability, which is X generic tap exile Karn Silex. Destroy each non-land permanent with mana value X or less. Activate only as a sorcery. Yeah. So, okay. So this is like a weird, like pernicious deed slash engineered explosives variant um, that has some very important pieces of text on it. Yeah. So. Everyone keeps saying pernicious deed like I'm supposed to know what this is. I've never I've never cast a pernicious deed. Yeah. What is it? I mean, I don't know the text off the top of my head because it was during when oh, I was okay. not playing. Oh, it's, so it's basically, a, it's, a Golgari it's pump colorless in and kill it. Yeah. yeah. So it's a Golgari enchantment. Yeah. Then you, yeah, X or less. Yeah. Okay. I got it. But this is colorless, importantly. This, I yeah. mean, this is just what? This is a, a shoe in for Karn wishboards, probably. Like maybe some other like yeah. artifact, prison y decks. Like, 
could, main thing this card does is it exiles the Silex instead of destroys. So like you just can get it back with Karn later if you so are interested yep. because it's outside the game. That's the big thing about this card, right? Yeah, I think. About 100%. Like, I don't know if the text on the card as written is, like, amazing, but if you can consistently get it back over and over again and, and the way that you can't get back engineered explosives over and over again, yeah. then... Or, like, an O-Stone or something. Yeah, yeah O-Stone, you can't get back in those situations at all. Not like you can play engineered explosives in your deck with Karn, for what it's worth, <laughs> yeah. but, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh, I guess the thing that makes this a little bit weaker or potentially safer is that ETB is tapped. So unless you're playing like Amulet Karn or like you have an Amulet and it untaps it or something like that. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Which would be pretty rad. But yeah, I think that this is it's it's dangerous, but safe because it's a little bit slow. Um, I think the static text is mildly interesting where it's like, yeah, you can't do Yogma things and you can't you can't fetch uh that kind of stuff but it's like you know the, the that text is there because like karn already has stuff that did that like you know pithy needle and it had stuff that swept the board like ratchet bomb or o stone or things like that yeah. if you wanted to but like it's just recur it's recurrable and we've seen what that yeah. can do with like ren and six yeah i mean the huge difference here too between this and engineered explosives is that is that engineered explosives you said you have to pick the number when you cast it. Not only that, it only kills things that are equal to the number of counters. Yes, on, this is this is a this big is umbrella. Or less. This is this is or less. This is like I can make this as big as I need to and get rid of everything that's on the board. Yeah, that's besides five like, besides or my less or six or less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of like it's it's a little bit like casting casting Ugin. You know, where and doing the minus minus X on Ugin, where you're kind of like, oh my god, when that happens to me, I'm like okay, I guess I just lose everything forever and the game is just over because Ugin uh, gets rid of all the cards. Yeah. Um, I think it's good. Yeah. I think we'll see play. I think it'll be part of every Karn deck will at least try this for a while and it likely will be around. Yeah, and it's certainly going to make a splash in Mono Green in Pioneer as well. I know we're talking oh, yeah. in our modern section here, but really these just are turning out to be the most powerful cards that we've seen so far in the set. And yeah. this is this is just the next one. Yeah, it's like this is the modern power level, which I usually imagine trickles down to um, Pioneer as long as yeah. the power, as long as there's enough um, decks that would actually use it. Like like the next one, I don't yeah. know if it really has a Pioneer home. I think it has a modern home. That's and a legacy home, apparently. Uh, yeah. People are very excited about this in Legacy. Rundvelt Horde Master for one in a red. It's a Goblin Warrior 1-1. One, one. It's a Goblin Lord. Other goblins you control get plus one, plus one. So a two-mana Lord. And whenever it or another goblin you control dies, you can exile a top card of your library. No, you do exile a top card of your library. If it's a goblin creature card, you may cast that card until the end of your next turn. Yeah. Top tier Lord. Right. Oh, this card is absurd. Yeah, really good. Well, how does this not cost RR? <laughs> you know, I guess yeah. I guess if you want to be Rakdos goblins and you have a little bit easier mana, it's it's crazy. This card is really unbelievable. It pumps and it lets you draw cards. And of course, one of the big things with Goblin is now there's so many pieces that do so many different things available to Goblins, especially in Modern. But there is an important card that's that's available in both Pioneer and Modern, and that is Skirk Prospector. Yeah. And what's if you don't remember that card, you probably should. It's a goblin. It's 1-1. One, one, it costs red. And it just says, sacrifice a goblin, uh, get a red mana. 
basically. And so if you have a sack outlet that goes with Runevelt Horde Master, you can sacrifice whatever goblins you have, and it's not even goblin non-token goblins that do that lets you draw cards. It's any goblin, any goblin at all. So you can just be sacrificing stuff, sacrificing stuff, sacrificing stuff, getting cards, and with Skirk Pro Prospector, you're getting mana as well. So you're kind yeah. of just like burning through your deck looking for, who knows, you know, maybe you're looking for, I, I you know, I don't know exactly how this is going to be constructed, but you could be looking for your Snoop, or you could be looking for your Bogart Har Harbinger, or you could be looking for a Matron to go get those. And all kinds of stuff in the combo version of of goblins and then it's potential that there's one that just really leans really hard into the um sling gang lieutenant where you just set up a huge turn make a bunch of stuff spend a bunch of mana sack a bunch of things and kill your opponent mm -hmm. directly yeah there's some funny business we can have with this i'm not you know a big goblin uh, freak i know that goblin goblin freak uh, mickey s in uh, citizen he said you know he goblin freak is what one r <laughs> for a two one with haste yeah yeah I, I think that he was saying that he's not over the moon about it in modern goblins but i think that there will be people experimenting with this card it's a very good lord and it does what goblins wants to be doing and so i think if you know all those things sort of work to be uh, the peanut butter and chocolate yeah i mean I mean, there are draw engines available to goblins, like um, what's Ringleader is a really good card. This is just one that you can fire off whenever you want if you have if you have the uh, sack outlet. So, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's good. It's wild. All right, those are the cards that I picked out sort of like as our modern power level. Did you see anything else yet that I missed? There's one card that I thought was interesting that I thought maybe we could talk about that maybe it's Pioneer, maybe it's Modern, but did you look at Founding the Third Path? No. Is that a self-help book? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just what I've been doing a lot lately. I've just been founding the third path. I hope you'll join me on my new podcast, <laughs> Founding the Third Path. Um, comes out Sundays. Um, it's a saga. It has a read ahead. It's a generic and a blue. And it says you may cast an instant or sorcery spell with mana value one or two from oh, your yes, hand without paying its mana cost. Then the second one is target target player mills four cards. And then the third one is exile target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard copy it. You may cast the copy. Okay, so you... It's so kind of like a Snapcaster yeah, so page. How much does it cost? Is it one in a blue? Yeah. Oh, one oh blue. wow. And what, and what is the first thing? You just basically... You get to you just get free mana back? You get to cast a one or two mana value one or two spell from your hand without paying its mana cost. So you just get free... You get a, you get a, you get, you get a permanent... And then you right. get a spell for the, the cost of that permanent. Correct. And then it does more stuff to snap something back later. Yeah. And it's anything from your graveyard. But you have to pay for it. Uh, it's their instants or sorceries, and you have to pay for them. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So there's not a lot of cheaty stuff you can do, but there's just sort of, it's just a value card. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a value card. I think it's also a spell trigger card. Oh, yes. So when I see this, I think about prowess. Oh, yeah builds uh i don't know if that's in pioneer only or if it's potentially in modern maybe but probably not in modern <laughs> but um you know that that was what i saw there that kind of felt like okay yeah double spell make it happen more reliable early on so the the first the first chapter is where i think this card actually becomes okay right where it's just yeah. like it is it is mana neutral and cardboard positive Right. So exactly. that's a thing. And that's like fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you do have to have the cardboard in your hand. 
to cast, right. right? So it's just kind of like, is it air? What does it do if you don't have a spell in your hand? Well, it's a Snapcaster, right? So, right. And so that and that sucks. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's not even a two one. It's a it's an enchantment Snapcaster. That's not great. Right. So I think yeah, I think that there's something there. Is it good enough? Probably not for modern. I think there's. Is there like a spell slingy type deck? Is there a synergistic type deck that will want this in in a uh, pioneer? Quite possibly. Yep. Cool. Maybe. So that that was the one that I saw that I thought maybe it could be somewhere in between. Um, but let's take a look at some of these other weird cards yeah, we that got were a spoiled. Bunch. We got a bunch of Pioneer. How about, yes, a lot. How about the one that I think everybody looked at and went, this is so cool and cute, and it's definitely going to see play. And now I'm not so sure where. Same. But I have some confidence that it is good. But the card is Phoenix Chick, which is one of the funniest. <laughs> well, like, I don't know why that's so funny to me, but like it's hilarious that it's called that. Okay. Phoenix Chick is a red mana for a creature phoenix. It's surely the cheapest of the phoenixes. It has flying in haste. It is a 1-1, and it cannot block. However, the last line of text says, whenever you attack with three or more creatures, you may pay red, red. If you do, return Phoenix Chick from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking with a 1-1 counter on it. Okay, this card is sweet. Yeah. And it looks good, but is it It, it has good? It has one home. You think it has one? I think home. it has one home. Okay. The uh, the Embercleave decks run two Swift Spears right now. Okay. I think this is better than Swift Spear because it flies. Because it flies, and okay. and it's and it comes It's back. a better late game damage with Torbrin. Like let's say it's a it's a better just like lethal swinger than like yeah. two Swift Spear are. So you know it, it's I think a lot of people are like. It, it works with Embercleave because, like, I'm casting it and then I'm lowering the cost of my Embercleave. Well, it's like, yeah, but it's just parity. If if you're casting, it's not even parity. Yeah, if, it's if, more. if you're casting it from hand, it's parity. If you're oh, casting it out of the graveyard, it's you're losing. So like, it doesn't really right. make sense right then. Um, I mean, it does add some damage. Like, if you do some really good math and you're like, I need exactly two damage more than I would maybe get yeah. otherwise. But like, you're not going to slap the cleave on this thing. Do you know what I mean? Like you're unless you need six direct flying with no blockers. Yeah, or I mean, like yeah, if if you really figure it out and it's like exactly perfect, but I don't think that's going to come up as much as just having like flying four damage off of Torbrin. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I think yep. that's pretty cool. I don't. How popular are these decks though? Like, not that popular. I mean, yeah. I don't think this has a place in prowess. I don't think it has a place in heroic. There's no reason to have this card right. in there. I don't think it's in mono red aggro. Because there's yep. nothing that it would replace. Swift Spear in Embercleave doesn't make a lot of sense because there's not a lot of spell triggers there. I think this makes sense there, but I don't think it's really just about the haste, right? Yeah. For Swift Spear, that's it. I don't think it makes this. I don't think it makes any deck much better besides that. And I don't know how much better it makes it. It doesn't like make Amber Embercleave tier one. I think it's just like yeah. here's a cute option. Yeah, and I think one of the biggest indications to me was if you look at the Phoenix that was in Big and Hollow one. The Flame Wake Phoenix, which is one of the most playable Phoenixes that we've had the last, I don't know, five, six, eight years at this point. You know, that's a 2 2 that has haste and flying. It costs three, but you could discard it. And if you had Ferocious, yeah. if you had a creature with four mana or greater when you attacked, you could bring it back for a single red mana. Yeah. That com reanimating with a single red mana versus two is huge. Very, I think, very as, far, huge. as far as I'm concerned. And we're talking And you could even block with that one if you're really tricky. Yeah. Yeah, not blocking is just rough. Like, do you want this early? Maybe. Like it's but like I just I don't think you want it in it's not gonna it has no prowess triggers. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't want it right. in a red aggro deck where it's like, yeah, I'm gonna 
clear the way and get oh one more damage or i don't need to clear the way so it pecks in like don't this is like a classic limited resources thing like don't fall for the one one flyer for one do you know what i mean like it's yeah. not gonna do enough for you yeah i mean it depends on on your deck if you're sure. if you're suiting things up then yeah but i don't think you are here yeah i think it's oh i think it's fine i don't think it has a good home i don't think it's a build yeah. around yeah agree all right next card that caught my eye live in the past i guess it's called conscript <laughs> yeah. what is which this is cost, it's the next one in an endless series of cards <laughs> that cost a black mana for a 2-1 that enters the battlefield tap and tapped and comes back from the graveyard somehow oh perfect and so this one costs a generic and a black to return cult conscript from the graveyard to the battlefield activated only if a non-skeleton <laughs> creature died under oh, your control oh my skeleton this turn. tribal deck yeah, can't can't have all skeletons, but oops. you can't have all warriors oops, all skeletons. with this, which which sometimes comes. Oops, we all have skeletons. Um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, warriors make sense, like you know, black white warrior. Let's just play. Let's play my favorite uh, limited cons, limited, limited cons deck archetype. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one. Um, yeah, so th this thing, I don't know. Like I don't. I it looks like a playable card. It seems like it could be good, but then you're kind of like, well, mono black aggro is not a thing. No, not really. And no, not at and all. this one is better than the cards that were in mono black aggro at the end of mono black aggro's time. I don't remember the name of the one that was like the most heinously difficult to bring back. Was it like gutter bones or something yeah, like that? Bones that was, was like okay. it cost like three mana to bring back, and some you had to do some jump through some other kind of hoop. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe the morbid trigger, basic, which is what this is. It's basically morbid. Ha is uh, is too hard to yeah, to do. But um, yeah. What's this doing? Like, what are we doing with this anymore? Do you is this a rare? No, it's an uncommon okay. or something. I mean, and you know what? Yeah. We're, I'm just going to stop you there because I think you're right. Okay. This card is is on rate for a previous version of Pioneer, but I think we should go on to some more interesting okay, stuff. Okay, Jaya, Fiery Negotiator. Yeah. This is an early spoiler that we didn't talk about. Uh, she is mm -hmm. two red red for uh, Jaya, and she comes down with four loyalty. She has four abilities. Plus one, create a 1-1 one, one red monk creature token with prowess. Uh, minus one, exile the top two cards of your library. Choose one of them. You may play that card this turn. Her minus two is choose target creature and opponent controls. Whenever you attack this turn, Jaya deals damage equal to the number of attacking creatures to that creature. And then her yep. ultimate minus eight, you get an emblem when, when with whenever you cast a red instant or sorcery spell, copy it twice. You may choose new targets with the copies, uh, basically win the game uh, in, yep. in any deck probably that would run her. So we got a new walker. We got a new walker with four options. Seems like kind of a gen generally strong red mid-range threat. Like, you know, plusing to make threats that can do a lot of work for you here. Uh, she can break open a stall, I think, pretty well. The minus one gives you some card selection, some card advantage. I like that it's play this card, so you can use lands, of course. Yep. yep. The minus two is really weird, though. Like, it's a really conditional removal option, but it makes sense with what she's doing, which I always like. I like synergistic pluses and minuses, so... Yeah, it's tough, though. That That's the one that's really, like, the game-breaker for me on this, where it's like, if that ability is good in enough places, then this card is is very good, you know? But there are a lot of times where your opponent doesn't have a creature, yes. or if the creature you desperately need to kill if you're in red 
is a creature that has toughness of like yeah. six. And but so I mean, you're just kind of like, like, uh, like alpha striking then, right? Where it's like, you're not going right. to minus two even. Like, you know what I mean? Like if, if you can just minus one, you can pump up your, your monks, which is cool. Like, so I think like she definitely is an army in a can style walker, which is cool. And in red, which I'm fine with over like a, you know, old Elspeth army in a can back in the Theros days or something like that. Yeah. So I think she's cool, but what home is she in, really? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I was looking at was in, um, when I think about decks that I sometimes like to play in modern, there's that current version of Red Prowess. Now, you wouldn't be able to play it because you prob- Obosh is probably better than having access to this card. You know, having access to Obosh is probably something you would want to maintain. But I'm looking at Chandra Dressed to Kill, right now and thinking about the difference between Jaya and Chandra just to kill. And it's basically, you know, Chandra gives you ramp. She costs one less mana. She gives you ramp. She lets you exile a card from the top of your library with her other plus, And then she has that negative seven that does a bunch of damage. You know what I mean? I think if you look at Jaya, like the big thing that Jaya has, I mean, Jaya has a way to kill a creature, but it's super conditional. Hey, look, Jaya makes Jaya prowess makes monks, okay? Makes a creature, yeah, <laughs> which is big. So I wondered a little bit, like, okay, could it go with those kind of prowessy, mono-red plus white prowessy builds that are kind of mid-rangey now in modern? I don't know. And then I started thinking, well, does it go in the mono-red aggro decks in Pioneer? Because, you know, to give you a different Planeswalker to draw into other than Chandra Dressicle, because those mono-red decks run... Chandra DTK, right? Still? Yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So having like one of these in there, so if you draw multiples of your planeswalkers, you're not stuck with extra ones in hand. I don't know. Are you going to try to play this somewhere? Or you just think it's possible that it will be somewhere? I do want to mention, I do I do not see Chandra dressed to kill in uh in the mono red decks. She's just straight Anymore. out. Anymore. Yeah. She's in the sideboard. She's slow. Okay. But um, am I hyped? I mean, I don't know, man. Like, it depends on. Thankfully, so it's it's a mythic, so it means I don't have to use uh, rare wilds on <laughs> on arena. On arena, so that's like always yeah. helpful. Where it's like, oh, maybe I can do something with you know red and have some prowess tokens. That sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, this would be really cool with Torbrin. I would love to have like some some three three prowess monks. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, yeah, I'm, 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 that's I'm pretty down good. for that. That's some synergy. All right. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that's where it goes, but I, I don't think it's like a four of in a deck. I think this is like, you know, where you play Chandra, a Torch of Defiance in a, as a two of, there might be a deck that does Jaya in a similar capacity, yeah. but Chandra's not as good as Jaya in some place. Let's let's talk about another, another iffy card in uh, Cut Down. I do think this card is iffy, right? So this is black for an instant destroy target creature with total power and toughness five or less. Yeah. This is a worse fatal push, but some kind of fatal push analog, right? Just a different fatal push. Yeah. I mean, a lot of cards dodge this, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of cards dodge this. The most important card that dodges this almost all the time is Ledger Shredder. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Ledger Shredder with one connive trigger, one successful connive trigger on it, you know, is toast. This, this, you're never going to get through this. And Fatal Push is a zillion times better in that spot. So yeah. that just almost makes me feel like 
There's no shot for this card, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's Pioneer-ish power level. It's one black mana. Like all of our other sort of black removal options, feel like they've always, you know, they've been like various uh, Doomblade variants for a million years, right? And so this right. gives us a Fatal Push variant that I don't know. Is it better than like uh, Blood Chief's Thirst? I don't know. Is it? Uh, it's an instant. It's an instant. Blood Chief's Thirst is that but sorcery. Blood, but Thirst like scales late game. It hits Planeswalkers late game. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you want. And I just feel like this is going to get outmoded so quickly. Like maybe sideboard where you're like, I know I'm going to have a lot of targets for this. And I'm in a meta game where I need to shore up that matchup. And I just need more fatal pushes type thing. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe mono black, mono blue spirits, right? Like, I think there's a lot of targets here for mono blue spirits. Yeah. If you want to have Fatal Push 5 and 6, for some reason, this could be it. Yeah. We have a cool one. Aster Bearer of Blades, two red and a white for a legendary human warrior. When it ETBs, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal Ooh. an equipment or vehicle card from among them. Put them. Put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Equipment you control. Have Equip 1. Vehicles you control have crew one and Aster is a four four. It's a lot of text. This card seems very good. Right? What what, what makes you think good. it's good? I think this card seems good for making Colossus Hammer potentially a thing in Pioneer. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Because it searches and cheats it. Uh I don't think there's a vehicle that has a similarly excellent payoff, although I'm sure there's some ridiculous ones that have oh, equipped yeah, there, seven there are or some, yeah. Six. You, how do you get them on the battlefield? Yeah, that's the problem. I think there are some cheap, cheaper, high crew cost vehicles out there. The the one that comes to mind for me is Consulate Dreadnought. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that I've played around with a little bit in modern. With um, oh yeah, I forgot about that. To, remember that? And it's like a what is that? A seven eleven for with equip seven or something? But it costs one. Yeah, like crew seven. Mana. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. So I mean. Maybe that's the thing if you want to try to get into that kind of stuff. But I really think that the Colossus Hammer kind of shell is sort of close in Pioneer already. Yeah. There's just no pure steel paladin. Yeah. I mean, so Frank, our buddy Frank said there's about a 40% chance of revealing a hammer if you run four of them, which makes sense because like your opening hand is seven. And if you have four right. cards in your deck, what's well, like a 42% or something like that, 40% chance to have a card in your hand. So same deal there. Right. So you do need a good amount of other good equipment or weird vehicles that you want to be tutoring for in some way. Yeah. Or you just need another plan. Exactly. Not just, not necessarily more equipment. You, you It can be vehicle, like you said. And maybe it's just Colossus Hammers and Consulate Dreadnoughts all the way down. <laughs> all the way and that's, down. that's all it is. Yeah, I mean, it's a cool card. I definitely think that people are going to be playing this. You will play against this on the ladder. You will find people who are experimenting with this day one. Yeah, I mean, the other thing to note is that there was a deck on Goldfish a couple of months ago that was a Colossus Hammer and Pioneer deck. You know, there's already Sigarda's Aid in Pioneer, of course. You're, you have access to that. And then you also have access to Fighter Class from, uh, from the Forgotten Realms set. And Forgotten... Fighter class lets you search your library for an equipment card, reveal it, put it in your hand, and shuffle. That's its first level. And so it's kind of like a bad version of Steel Shaper's gift if you want to be able to try to do that kind of thing um, and make sure you have it when you have the equip to cheat or when you have the aid. So you have kind of the three-card package that 
searches, reduces, equips kind of triangle between those three cards. Um, it could be enough to have it get there. I'm all for it because I, I doubt it will be broken, but I'm all about having fun. So yeah, yeah. I have I added one today, Dave. This is a surprise for you. Okay, this is all for you. It's Rona's Vortex. Okay, it's a blue instant with kicker two black. Uh, return target creature or planeswalker you don't control to its owner's hand. If the spell was kicked, put that permanent on the bottom of its owner's library instead. This card's good, right? It's I think it's relevant early, relevant late. I think putting a card to the bottom of the library is basically destroy and pioneer and pretty much. I mean, this is not going to see modern play, but I think that this I think this has potential as like a really good unsummon. I mean, it's interesting. I guess the only thing I would say about this is that for the most part. To have an unsummon be good, you need to be playing a deck that is kind of aggressive. Yes, that's a right? tempo. Like yeah. you're doing you're doing your tempo stuff, and so I mean, rogues is it kind of like a rogues esque shell that we're thinking that a blue black I mean, kind of card goes into? Just, it or? hits planeswalkers. It's just so good. Yeah, like I mean, well, that's that's super helpful. I'm just wondering, like, what? Because you wouldn't play this in Esper Control. You wouldn't download a right? card. Is another deck? What's you wouldn't that? download a car, or would you? Yeah. Would you? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know where you play this. I just think that it's, I yeah. think that, uh, yeah, unsummoned effects are just, you know, they're generally weak, right? Like, and it's. Well, I mean, brazen, it, brazen borrowers right? kind of reestablished that recently. Uh, yeah, but how many times? I mean, that's any permanent, and so it gets used in decks that but you have to do many cards yeah, with it. Exactly. Yeah. But so this one is if you want a creature out of the way or planeswalker, I think it's useful. I, you know, I just think you have to be pretty aggressive to want to be doing it. And so that's where I would yeah, be looking. It's a, it's a thing. Like, what kind of tempo deck can we be playing in blue-black to make this happen? That's why I thought of Rogue. Yeah, yeah, it's not, like, it's not going to be like in Demir Control or something. So, I mean, right. yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting card in search of a home and perhaps in search of a Pioneer power level that's not actually there. Right. Yeah, and then... What else do we have? I mean, is there anything else that's really interesting to you? We Shane? have some cards that are on the in search of a format to be good in, perhaps. Like, I mean, we have some stuff down here, like Shivan Devastator, which is like the X and a red Dragon Hydra with flying and yep. haste, and it enters the battlefield with X one one counters on it. So if you cast it for five mana, it's a four four flying haste and. Like this is this doesn't really compare to like our other typical, you know, Stormbreath dragons, Goldspan dragons, but like I guess this is this can be cast for less, so it lets yeah, you I mean, do it more scales to whatever you want. Yeah, but is yeah. that always good? I don't know. I mean, I think it's nice to be able to to fill your curve out with a card, right? If you draw two of these, you don't have two five drops. If you have a ton of mana late game, you can fly over and hit somebody. If you have a deck where you can make just a ton of mana, you can basically banefire someone with a with a creature, which it's a poor substitute because banefire can't be countered or can't be prevented or whatever. So it's not quite exactly what you're doing. But um, I don't know. I thought this card was cool, and I will say this card is a mythic, which mm. makes me think that they think it's good. At least yeah. not to be that person. You know, that's like the fantasy. You know, the magic equivalent of the fantasy football guy who's like, "Well, somebody yeah. has to get the carries. <laughs> somebody has to get the targets." Like, I, it makes me wonder about the the power level of this card, though. Yeah, I'm not on it, but I just think it's not doing perhaps enough, and and. 
like, but it, it also scales past five, right? Like it scales to like 10, like you, yep. you know, you're stalling the board with your Jaya and making prowess things. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know, I got a nine mana, you know, eight, eight dragon coming at you. Enjoy. Yeah. I do have a weird card that I would throw on this list that got spoiled today okay. or yesterday. I think that is not in here. So I'm going to read it to you and see what you think about it. I love this Twin game. Fern- Twin Inferno. It's called. <laughs> okay. Twin Inferno. See what they did there. Twin Inferno. And it costs a generic and a red for a instant that says when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So it's fork. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And then the second half of it, it's a modal spell. The other one says target creature you control against double strike until the end of the turn. Okay. Uh, I just looked at this and went, number one, what have they done to to my boy Fork? <laughs> that used to be one of everybody's favorite broken cards originally. And in the past year, we've gotten one with flashback in yeah. order to make it playable. And now this one that just has a different mode. So this is strictly better Forks. It. Yeah. It's it's different, different mana costs, strictly better. Exactly. Um, and then this card is interesting to me in something like Boros Aggro. Where I'm kind of like, okay, double up on a yeah, spell. Yeah, modes are good. Modes are good. Du- double up on a protection spell suddenly, or suddenly give a creature double strike that didn't have it before. I mean, that's a lot of mana. That someone doesn't see coming. For two? No, well, when you cast your next instant or sorcery spell. So like, you have to have a lot of mana up if you want to like double protect something. or the Three. You're just going to have God, you're double no, God's will. I mean, willing. that's a lot of mana. But I mean, I, three. I do. It's three. Uh, you're right. Okay, I, I think this is this is a flexible card. And as always, you kind of pay for that in mana yeah. cost. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you would put a ton of these in, in a deck like I'm that. I'm going for five. But but one <laughs> seems interesting and potential. It's sort of a... I mean, think about this card with Teamer Battle Rage. Like, it's, you know, not with it, but, yeah. you know, as an alternative to it. What if your Teamer Battle Rage forked <laughs> instead of <laughs> instead of just giving something double strike when you snuck it and through. You, you sold that one to me, Dave. Dave, I also have to mention, Dave shared his screen on our uh, video chat. I, did, I was like, I didn't even know you could do that. Yeah. Welcome to the future. I was blown away. Uh, speaking of blown away, I do want to talk about a card that actually didn't blow me away. But I, I is am I missing something here? Like, Raph, Weatherlight, Stalwart. It's white and the blue. Legendary Human Wizard for a 1-3. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may tap two untapped creatures you control if you do draw a card. Um, and then it has some garbage, like three white, white creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain vigilance until end of turn. Does this do anything for Jeskai Ascendancy? Like, you know, you tap the creatures, you draw a card, you untap with Ascendancy. You know what I mean? Like, this kind of, like, gets you more fuel for the fire it kind of like you know digs you deeper it it's i think it's interesting but i don't know what space the ascendancy decks even have yeah well shane as you know i've been working on my postdoctorate in in just guy ascendancy yes, thank lately you. and what i can tell you is i have no idea <laughs> yeah I mean, this does look like a card though that is supposed to be used in that kind of way as opposed to as any kind of uh, fair value engine. Yeah. So I'm just going to say maybe. Sure. Yeah. Maybe if, if, if you see it, tell them I, I said it first. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is clearly the card that we just missed. And now, now we're going to talk about yeah, it. Perfect. You know, like this is the one that's going to be the, the $25 on comment or whatever Raph is. Yeah, I'll take it. So, yeah, I mean, let's, let's save, 
some more randoms perhaps for the next episode. I think we've uh, we've covered I think a lot of surprisingly decent cards. Um, I'm I'm a little bit frightened about some of the stuff that's going to be hitting modern in temporary lockdown and Karn Silex, but yeah, yeah. I don't know, Dave. Here's here's our here's our non-break wind down. How you doing? How's that dog? How's everything going? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I've been getting up at three o'clock in the morning to walk a dog every night. Oh like, my it's, god, I'm exhausted. that's bad. So it's a new kid. It is. It's a baby. It's literally a baby. I mean, it literally is. Yes. I mean, it's a cute baby. Marvin looks really cute. Yes. I want to pet Marvin. Looking forward to seeing him. Hopefully soon. Yeah. But yeah, with that, I'm gonna take us on out of here. That wraps up this week's show. If you have not, subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a uh, you know, star rating. A review is always awesome. We always shout out those reviews when we get them. Uh, you can also go on to Spotify, leave us some stars there. I know a ton of you have. So as people keep using... Uh, you know what's weird, Dave? Like 20% of our listeners are on Spotify now. I know. It blows my mind. Uh, podcast industry has really changed over the last couple of yeah, years. Yeah, in, in, If you're still listening... And you're interested. We've gone from about 10% to 20% over the last four years. Uh, if you'd like to submit a question about our podcast metrics uh, or reach out to us, tweet us at, at the dive down, all one word. You can email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, which I know you do, go to patreon.com slash the dive down. Shout out to Mana Traders for continuing to sponsor us and work with us. Uh, use promo code the dive down 15 for 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards and try not to keep them for four weeks. Uh, amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, all that. Barrister and Man, use code the dive down 15 for 15% off your first order there. Nerd Rage Gaming, our pals over there, go to their events, and if you order paper cards from them, use Dive 8 for 8% off your order. As always, thank you, Nowhere. Thank you, Spaceblood, for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and polish Karn's Silex! Silex!